Welcome to Beyond Dieting. We're two friends on a mission to disrupt the insanity of diet culture and replace it with something positive, life-affirming, and effective. We are talking to you if you, like us, have felt like a poster child for diet failure, or that diets work for other people, just not you, or like you just can't stick to anything, or this would work if only you were disciplined enough, blah, blah, blah. If that's you, then we are here to tell you that the problem is not you. The problem is dieting. As life coaches, empty nesters, busy entrepreneurs, and menopausal women, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness, but we do know what has worked for us and other women in our programs. What's abundantly clear to us is that there is no silver bullet diet or exercise regimen, period, full stop, and we've tried a lot of them. Stick with us as we explore a variety of doable and motivational ways you can free yourself from a lifetime of yo-yo dieting. It is possible to live a healthier, saner, and more fulfilling life you enjoy. Hi, this is Mimi. And this is Lee. In this episode of Beyond Dieting, we review and discuss a book called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Katie is famously known for something called the four questions. These are four questions that you can ask yourself if you choose to, or you can hire a coach uh, trained in her method to help you learn how to apply these four questions to your own situations in life so that you get insight and transformation. We yeah, picked I, this, oh, go ahead, Mimi. I was just going to say, I think that um, so many coaches, whether they were trained by Byron Katie and follow this method, this idea of thought work and, and um, asking yourself questions and are your thoughts based in fact, you know, or they beliefs. So I think anyone that does any thought work and has been coached probably has Byron Katie filter down through that in some way. Yes, yeah, she she has been around for a long time. And so a lot of people who have that, like coaches in particular, who have their own kind of thought work, kind of questioning method, a lot of it's based on what Byron Katie does. They just put their own twist on it. And, and who knows, maybe Byron Katie also put her twist on something, you know, for, from antiquity, because there's also, you know, there's the Socratic method of asking questions. You know, question asking is generally thought to kind of keep your brain alive and well and to provide more insight, to question things and look at it from different angles. So, um yeah, it's, she's an interesting person because her claim, we'll get into kind of who she is in a minute. So it's interesting how she says she got around to this. Um, but we picked this book because we've been trained to use, I, I definitely, this was um, a method I learned in the Martha Beck Institute training for coaches um, to use Byron Katie's exact style of questioning on myself and to use it as a coach. And we've been doing this for years with our clients again, both with ourselves and with them, you know, people we work with, uh, with great success. I mean, it, it takes some practice, but it, it is really interesting once you kind of get into it, what happens. 
Yeah, and, and we thought it would be um, interesting and a new way that we um, have been using it in the past know, year or two or something is really tying it to the um, our weight loss journeys, like using these four questions. And so we thought sharing that with you could make it also a really big game changer for you as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So obviously we're we're fans of her method. But we're also simply reviewing a book for this book as a book, you know, so we're going to talk about like kind of how we use it in coaching because we do have some insight on that, but also just as a book, like is the content good? Is the delivery good? Is it approachable? Is it entertaining uh, so that you get a sense of whether or not you want to read it? Yeah. So let's just dig in and think about let's start right off with who is Byron Katie and um. So I found like kind of how she describes like who she is and what her work is. And so I don't have that, her lovely voice. She has such a lovely speaking voice, but she's like, I discovered that when I believed my thoughts, I suffered, but when I didn't believe them, I didn't suffer. And that this is true for every human being. Freedom is as simple as that. I found that suffering is optional. I found a joy within me that has never disappeared, not for a single moment. That joy is in everyone always. And I invite you not to believe me. I invite you to test it for yourself. Quote by Byron Katie. Um, I love like the simplicity which with which she talks about like and the accessibility which which she describes that. It's like it's within you already. And that you know, and that she wants you to test it. I think like when we were talking before about so many people have their own thought work, I think to she's the first person I've seen as far back that is like using it as a self-coaching tool. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, just thinking about who she is, she's always been sort of fascinating to me, like her story, her origin story that she does give in the book. Um, and she talks about it a lot. So it's a little bit of a spoiler, but um, she, she sounds like she was a scary person before she had this sort of, it's like a, a light switch flipped for her when she went into some kind of inpatient treatment facility. She was in such bad shape. And really just on a path to insanity and driving everyone she loved away from her for various reasons. You know, she had become kind of a nasty, paranoid, you know, she self-described, you know, terrible person, um, alienating all the people she loved. And so it's so fascinating that she experienced this total 180. Like she went to sleep, this nasty, paranoid, awful person, as she describes herself, and woke up laughing at a cockroach crawling over her foot or something and then it was like I mean people describe it as she was enlightened she woke up enlightened and then she kind of could see how things weren't real like nothing was true that her thoughts had never been true her beliefs were not true nothing was actually true and that this freed her and delighted her and made her who she is today and almost kind of she says that people in her community call her the lit lady not because she was high all the time but because 
she had this glow that came out through her eyes, which you get when you see her, you can kind of see it. It's, it's, it is interesting. She does seem to kind of glow through her eyes. Um, and it's, she just could never think the way she previously thought. She was no longer paranoid. She was no longer mean. She was just this very gentle, almost kind of a simple person. It's like she woke up more simplified or something. It's really hard to understand what happened to her. Yeah, I thought that was one of the more fascinating. Well, one, I enjoyed the book immensely, mm-hmm. but I thought, um, her honesty with which she talks about who she was and how horrible she was to her spouse and her children. I thought these, these were some tolerant people (laughs) in her life um, because she did a lot of things. And I think because she shares them, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like easy to say that she was awful because um, she like, like was saying, like she just owns that. So openly you know without any shame and I think that's the beauty of this thought work and I think it was like in that moment she was like I can choose to think all these horrible things about myself and then I'm just saying that's who I am or I can choose to think something different and the way she kept talking about um when you can step back and say is this true you know are these thoughts and beliefs that I'm carrying and then when you can start to detach from the idea of them being true, then you can laugh at them and think like, that's a ridiculous thought to even have. And that's when you really know that you're in such a, on a healing place. Yeah. I mean, she, she says something like, you know, once they let her out of there, because I think she, it was such a massive transformation. People didn't even really recognize her. She actually talks about, I don't know if it, if it's in this book, because I've read several books by her. So forgive me if I speak a little outside the book, but she, people like they weren't sure what had happened to her. It was almost like she went crazy again, but in a very different way. Like she didn't know who her husband was necessarily. She didn't know that that was her husband. She did. She thought they were nice people, (laughs) but she, it's like, she really did kind of lose her mind. And then kind of get herself back, but she was forever altered. So it's this is fascinating to me what what on earth happened to this woman. It seems almost like she had like a brain event and then was able to come back from that, just really clearly seeing that what we think is not actually true. They're just thoughts. And she could see this so clearly. Um, it reminds me of Jill Bolte Taylor, who's the neuroscientist who had a stroke in her left hemisphere. And so she was reliant upon her right hemisphere. So she had a brain event that totally altered her perception. And then she was able to recover her left brain after a lot of work. Um, so it reminds me of that. It was such a profound difference for Byron Katie, whatever happened to her when she fell asleep that night. But the result was she realized you could just question everything. So if a thought, and she says thoughts still go through her head, but she just, through a lot of practice and understanding about the fact that thoughts aren't true, um, they don't attach to her anymore. And she just learned, you could say, is that true? And, and and by going kind of into yourself, not intellectually trying to figure out if it's true, but just kind of 
sinking into your body and kind of feeling around for the truth. Is that true? And then you ask yourself again, is it really true? And we'll go into the method again later, but, um, and then, then noticing what happens if you were to believe it was true, like what happens to your thinking, what happens to your body, and then noticing what happens if you don't think it's true. And so she talks about in the months and years that followed that event where she switched that she would, I think she lives in Ojai, California. She would walk through the desert, just asking about everything that she could think these four questions that came up, these just same four questions. And she could prove that nothing was true. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I love about it is that she didn't just go in and have this, um, you know, self-awareness and develop this self-compassion for herself, but she saw the framework for how it worked and the path for how it can work for everybody else. And she yeah. started to share it. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I had this epiphany. I don't have to believe all of my thoughts. So now I'm this new person and isn't this lovely? And now my, the dynamic with my family is going to change, which I mean, obviously it wasn't instantaneous because she had done so many really hard things and it's hard to trust somebody or yourself when you have had this like series of um, negative uh, experiences and thoughts and explosions but the fact that she you know kind of developed this theory and it sounds like in reading the book that it almost was like by happenstance people were like oh how did this happen and so she kept talking about it and talking about it and so then people would come to her and say like what what how did you make this transformation like help me and then she just said she talked to anybody anywhere where that she could get a platform and the fact that she um, embrace this transformation that she had. And that's her mission in life now is to get as many people aware of this and doing this work. And that if one person tells one person who tells one person how that will transform the whole world, like she really sees this as the path to reforming all of us, the planet. Yeah. And, but in a, in a way that is not cultish because, um, you know, it could start to sound a little culty to somebody who's not familiar with her. Like she's this guru trying to change everybody's brain, but it's not really like that. It's more like people came to her saying, can you please help me? You you clearly are something's going on with you. That's really wonderful. Can you share this with me? And then she shares it. So there's no cult of firing Katie. You know, people don't live with her in a commune and give her all their money or anything like that she doesn't take control of your life but she really does see it as a, a wave of transformation that could take place that people started to question everything they think or believe just how free that is how freeing that is yeah well and I think the way that she sees it transforming in the world is like she now lives in this place of joy and peace and love Mm -hmm. which does sound you know, like super 60s, right? Like oh, this thing, but it's like, um, and I think she doesn't even talk about it so much as like trying to get everybody into a place of joy, but it's to try to get everybody to stop suffering. Yeah, it's more like you know, that. That, that you don't have to suffer and you don't have to be in pain. And that she calls her process the work, which I love. It's like so simple. Like, what do you have to do? You just have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that method of 
questioning your thoughts and asking the four questions that we're going to get into them and that you really have to ask them. Um, and she describes it almost as like in a meditative process of like, you just ask the questions and think about it and contemplate on it. And then the answers, you know, start to arise because you can try to outthink, you know, what the answer is and you can try to, I'm so typical of me, you know, to do anything. It's like, oh, I know what my answer is going to be. Oh, I know what I want the answer to be. So that's what I'm going to make the answer. And like, just to be able to sit and like, really listen and what answer is coming from you is really powerful. It is. And it's, um, it, it is, I think, because in our culture, we're trained to live in our left brain. That's how we want the way Mimi was talking about, like, we're trying to figure out the right answer and jump to the conclusion, like, let's jump to the end. I don't want to have to do the work. <laughs> and she calls it the work for that very reason. You have to actually go through it. You have to walk through it on a deeper, more emotional level, being more contemplative. It's not a get the right answer kind of thing where you want to get an A on the exam because then you won't, you'll miss the whole point of it. Um, because surprising things come up when you allow yourself to not intellectualize the process. And it's hard for, I think, I mean, it was hard for me. I still kind of want to do it sometimes. And it's why she says you need to write it down because if you stay in your head with it, you're more likely to stay left brain with it and intellectualize it and want to try to get to the quote unquote right answer. And when you write it down, it slows you down, first of all. So you would start um, with whatever thought is causing suffering, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't work on, if there's a thought that makes you really happy, you wouldn't do the work on it. You would, that you don't need to do the work on it. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that because I was only thinking because she talks so much about ending suffering, you know, so it made sense to me that it would only be on thoughts that are suffering. But I wonder if, well, I wonder what would happen if you took a positive. Well, I've had clients and also in coach training, you know, coaches were like, well, what if it's like, you know, I love my baby. Is that true? You know, they, they're, cause they're trying to kind of test, like say the work it's in, you know, invalid because what if you did it that way, but that's not the point of it. The point is to go after the thoughts that cause suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So back to the book real quick. Yes. Yes. Um, she wrote the book loving what is in 2003. So it's really cool that we're doing this book 20 years, kind of the 20 year anniversary of this book. And um, let's talk a little bit about the structure of the book. Did you like it? You know, I listened on Audible. And so to me, the structure seemed like they gave some history. I'm looking to see if it's actually divided this way. And then the, she just did case study after case study after case study, which is li live, live sections of her just it's like um transcribed sessions with clients but then of course on audible it was good because you're hearing it and it, it, I think it was a little easier to take in for me yeah I had the the um hard well paperback book but I had like the a copy of the book so I read that to get to her biography and then when I got to the transcriptions and her interview and people walking them through it just, it felt a little tedious reading it. Um, so I turned to the audible and I loved it. Like mm -hmm. I, 
and I normally do not like an audible book, but um, I would highly recommend to, if you're going to do it, to do both of them. I mean, you could do it all in audible, but I would definitely get, because you hear her in her voice, walking people through the work and asking the questions. And um, she's tough, like to be such a loving and um, beautiful soul with this like sweet voice. And then those questions are like, is it true? Um, that's a tough question in itself. But then she just like really keeps nudging them and nudging them. And I, I was like feeling so much empathy for the people sometimes when she was walking them through this. And then she ends up with them in such a beautiful place. Yeah, I think that's where coaching really is about the person being coached and their own personal journey that's inside of them. Because as onlookers, it's hard sometimes because we want to feel compassion or protective toward the person being coached, or we've never had that situation. So it's a bit horrifying because some of the situations that are brought up are very delicate or, you know, not for everybody, you know, not everybody would want to listen to every single one of those. Um, there may be it's triggering, triggering yeah. for some people, but and, and she's received the criticism I've heard about her method is the discomfort people feel when she does work with somebody who's had maybe abuse or something really traumatic. Um, you know, the only person to ask about whether or not it was harmful would be the person who was actually coached by Byron Katie. But I think some of the things are hard to witness because they're, they're very uncomfortable, some of them. Yeah. And she had addiction issues and I've dealt with a lot of addiction in my family. And so some of those, yeah. you know, me, listening to them took me right back. Yeah. Those moments, but it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you know somebody that's dealing with those issues or you have, I think that's the beautiful thing about coaching. Even if you're not being the one coached, when you mm -hmm. listen to somebody and she does it so beautifully and you know, she's doing it from, such a place of love um, and caring and wanting this person to get to the other side and to get out of suffering. Um, but you really learn a lot. Yeah, you see those moments because this is what happens in our programs. Like when we have our private groups that we run, you know, for our paid programs, we'll have group sessions where people are doing kind of what's being done in this book where they're going through a very, maybe they're getting spot coached by one of us and uh, where you, we're applying our coaching tools and, you know, coaching is meant to hold people accountable to the process of coaching and to the tools that we're using in that moment and to try to get the person to um, relax into using the tool and then, and then, you know, inviting them to, you know, work with the tool, which is sometimes very uncomfortable for people. And so gently, and she does it so beautiful. She is masterful at it. She does it so gently and, and, and with respect, I think, and, and, and love, um, invite them to keep going at the work, you know, and keep questioning the thought. And what's so beautiful about witnessing somebody else being coached, which is why I think the audible is helpful is, you feel, you start to feel where the, you can see where the person can't see that that thought can be questioned, yet you as the listener and witness can see that it can be 
and, and when it's us, like if we were in the hot seat, we would be just like that person. We might not be able to see that we could let that thought go and witnessing it. We can see, oh yeah, that she could let that go, or he could let that go. We can see where they could, but they can't see it yet. And, and that's the beauty of watching someone else get coached really well. Yeah, that, that is so true. You just want to say, Oh, girl, yeah. Like, here's yeah. the thought. Here's where you need to go. Oh, like, yeah. how, and sometimes you think, like, how could that pop person possibly believe that about themselves? Like, even when we're coaching, some of these women are so amazing and they can just attach to a negative thought about themselves so tenaciously. And I just want to say, how could you possibly think about that? Like, we can all see how amazing somebody is. So, yeah, I, I do. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so true and it's yeah uh, you can feel it so I think it's like to me it's like hopeful because it's like if she can coach these people through some of um these really tough experiences that they've had then like yeah I can let go of some of these thoughts that feel so um true you know mm -hmm. to me yeah yeah it's an amazing process and I remember though, like if I think back to when I first read this book, I remember wanting to throw it across the room. Like I literally had the thought, <laughs> here was my thought that I needed to <laughs> do the right thought. thought. I was like, I want to, I didn't actually throw it across the room, but I was like, I want to throw, I had the thought, I want to throw this book across the room. And <laughs> because I, it was, you know, I think reading it for the first time, never having had any introduction to it, like I hadn't gone through coach training, a lot of it sounded like a different language to me. And it is, it is a different language. And so I would say to somebody reading this for the first time, if you feel like that, you're in good company. I know a lot <laughs> of people who were frustrated. If this is, you're reading it cold and you've never had any introduction to it, it might feel really like aggravating to you because it does challenge that part of us that wants to hang on to our belief systems. Yeah. So what would you say at its essence, this book is, is doing like it's feels like to me that at its essence, it's like, it's like you She's like, you wants us to do the work, like push us, like do the work, participate in this process of questioning your thoughts and beliefs. Like, and I feel like the whole book is like, she was talking to me, they mean me to yeah. <laughs> like yeah. writing this whole book because I want you to start questioning your thoughts. Like it felt very personal to me. It's definitely a big invitation all the way through it. It's an invitation to question your, I mean, it's as simple as questioning your thoughts. Like it's an invitation to open the door to this idea and this notion that things you think are real and true may not be real and true at all. <laughs> and so, and, and then you, you have to start understanding the distinction between a fact and a thought and a belief. What is that distinction? And it's not always an easy thing to answer, but I think if like, let's say you have a thermometer and somebody else has the same thermometer and you go outside and you measure the outside temperature. And if your thermometers agree, and then a hundred other thermometers agree that it's, I don't know, 80 degrees outside, you might say, well, this is more fact-like. This is more fact-like. 
Um, It's not a belief system, you know? Um, So like when we're coaching and our programs are quick, kind of like, how's a quick, what's a quick way we can teach this? We say, can you prove it in court? You know, could you prove your belief or thought in a court of law? And so that that's been kind of our go-to question for people to to help them distinguish between a fact and a belief or thought. Yeah. And um that that just that alone, like could you prove it in a court of law? If you just did that alone with all your anything that occurred to your head, you know, throughout the day, that alone I think is revolutionary. Yeah, I think so too. And I want to say I, I know we're making this book sound like it's hard. <laughs> you know, and that there's tough moments mm-hmm. in it. But I just want to say like on there, um, somewhere I saw it described and it was like out of nowhere in a cool breeze in a marketplace crowded with advice comes Byron Katie and the work. So it's like, they see it, it's, you know, describe it as like a cool breeze, you know, coming in and um, making everything feel doable and acceptable so it's like I don't want to give the impression that this is a tough book and that you have to come into it with caution because it really is I think very has a really freeing you know it's really funny like now I feel that way about her and her process but that is so far from the way I felt when I first read it and I think I just wasn't prepped I hadn't really considered any of this before but I do think that her energy is like that and the simplicity that people get to, and you can, you can just listen, you can hear and watch people release visible, palpable shame and pain. That is such a relief just to watch that happen, that transformation. Yeah. Because it's not like people don't have hard things in life and that life isn't still going to be hard, but it's like that, um, it's how, how do you deal with that and how do you move through it? And do you want to hold on to the suffering and take only the negative and the hard part of that? Or do you want to see like, is there something in here that um, like in her mind was like all of these painful things happen for a reason and that you can look back on them with love and appreciation and thankfulness. And for me, that was like, that was part of the the hardest thing to come to terms with because some of those, even like when I look back in some of my life situations, I was like, I can't see any reason why I should have had to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of right, course. Go through that yeah. or why I'm like dealing with that, you know, and to think of like hard things happening in the world, but she really can help you come to a way of acceptance for that. Mm-hmm. And again, she makes it clear. And I think this is important that, She's not saying, oh, it's good that you went through a war. You know, it's good that you, she, she, she backs away from that. But if you yourself, the person who had gone through the war can walk through these questions with the honesty and integrity that she encourages you to do, then in your own heart, in your own being, you can feel the truth of kind of that Viktor Frankl, you know, you can go to the gas chamber, a free man, you know, if you choose. And that's really kind of where she is with it. But only Viktor Frankl could come to that. Nobody could tell him to do that. You know, he had to go through that internal process and it becomes real for him. And so that's the thing to remember when 
reading this that she's not telling you to think that somebody dying is a gift because that always feels terrible to people. Yeah. It's just walking honestly through it yourself and questioning your own beliefs. Sometimes you actually get to that place where you can see the beauty, not that it was good, but you can see the beauty in something um, or just inside yourself. You can see the beauty inside yourself. And it's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I think it's a very transcendental book. I mean, I love the book now and I love where people can get to if they do this work. Um, It is a, it is a thing of beauty, but I I do think, I know I myself have had resistance to it often and, you know, it's, it's not always easy to go through the work and do the process, honestly, with integrity. Not that, you know, like somebody's a dishonest person, but it's just, um, we're all very left brain oriented and our left brain wants to hang on to these conclusions we get to. And it's part of what the left brain does. Yeah. And I think she's like pushing, it's like almost this quest, right. For acceptance and through that acceptance and honesty comes the peace. Mm -hmm. It's not like that wasn't a really hard situation that you had. Exactly. So why is this important for people who want to get beyond dieting? I mean, you may be asking yourself that right now. (laughs) And I mean, I would say it's because we have so many painful thoughts around our bodies and our history with food, you know, women and, and, and probably men too, but we, we, we speak to an, we're women and we speak to an audience of women um, have so many thoughts and beliefs about themselves, their bodies, their relationship with food. And most of these thoughts for a majority of people are painful. Yeah, because um, weight loss and how we feel about our bodies is accompanied by so much negative self-talk, self-thoughts, feelings of shame, you know, feelings of even self-hatred or self-disgust, you know, and this idea that Byron Katie says, well, let's start to question those thoughts and see if it's real. And like, can you see um, that, that, that thought that you're holding is what's causing the pain and the suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's good at this point, probably to use some concrete thoughts that we hear from a lot of women or that we've had before and really talk about some concrete things that people believe and think. So it's not all, you know, concept oriented, what we're talking about here. So we hear a lot of similarity when we talk to women whether they're family members, friends, or clients, you know, we hear women repeat similar kinds of thoughts and beliefs um, over and over and over. So, um, you know, one is if somebody loses weight or they're just starting a diet, there's could be this nagging thought in there, especially if somebody has been on other diets before the very fact that you had to go on a new diet suggests that you didn't get a good result. So um, sometimes people trying something new or before they try something new, they have this thought snaking around in their brain. That's like, you know, maybe I'll gain, maybe I'll lose the weight, but I'll probably gain it back. Like what, what makes this diet any different? What makes this time any different from all the times before 
when I lost weight and then I just gained it back. So um, there's a kind of a hopeless thought that women can get stuck on, which is, you know, yeah, it may work for a while, but I'll just gain it back. Yeah, because these thoughts are stories that we tell ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. I know for me, for a long one, I was like, it was like the waiting game. Like, I'm going to wait to be happy. I'm going to wait to buy new clothes. I'm going to wait to ask for promotion until I lose the weight. Mm -hmm. So it was like. So I have, would the thought be something like, I have to lose the weight first before I can do things I really want to do? Or what would the thought be? Uh It could be anything. It's like. Um, I'm not going to buy any new pants until I lose weight. I can't buy new pants until I lose weight. I can't be happy until I lose weight. Yeah. I don't deserve new clothes. I don't deserve new clothes until I lose weight or something kind of. Yeah, I don't think I would have said I don't deserve it, but I just probably if I had done the work, that's what like underneath what would have emerged, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was, you know. You would have said something like, like you said, I can't, I can't buy anything until I lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the, then the process, you know, I was putting all that hope on that next diet. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to buy, I don't want to buy clothes for this fat body because in a few months I'm going to have a thinner body and then I'll just have wasted money. And it's like prolonging because that day didn't come. Right. So is it true? So the, the way you would start applying these questions, like, is it true that you can't buy anything cute? any cute clothes until you lose weight. Yeah. And then somebody might be like, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, I only got X amount of dollars for clothes this year. So yeah, somebody will fight it with what they think is truth. And then the next question is, can you absolutely know it's true that you can't buy any clothes and, until you lose weight? And then sometimes the person's still like, yes, and that's okay. But then sometimes upon that deeper question and kind of sitting with it, not just the knee jerk response, it's like, no, I can't absolutely know that that's true. And then the next question would be, you know, if we just pick that thought, like I can't buy any clothes until I lose weight. How do you react when you believe that thought? I can't buy any clothes until I lose weight. Like, Mimi, if you try to put yourself back in time when that would have been your thought, how would how would you react when you believe that thought? Well, it's, you know, I would just sit there shamed because I'm like, and I would be believing I'm really not going to lose weight because I never do before. So it would bring on all the other negative thoughts that I have about myself and my weight and my financial situation <laughs> And so I would just keep wearing clothes that, you know, would make me look even worse and more unflattering and that I wouldn't feel good about. So it just becomes like almost a cycle of staying down as opposed to like, you know, that final question, like, who would you be without that thought? Well, without that thought, I would go out and buy clothes that I loved and felt good on my body and were flattering. And you can see like from that place and that energy, like, yeah, maybe I will lose weight. You know, I, maybe I don't have to lose weight. I can be happy now while I'm losing weight. Like I don't have to be miserable and frumpy, ugly, you know, clothes that don't fit me while I'm on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So without the thought, so what would a turnaround be since this was more your thought, what would a turnaround be? 
just to give people an example, because you do the four questions and then there's kind of this turnaround statement. Yeah. So let's just first say what the, the turnaround is. A, it's kind of like the thought that you would have that is opposite to that very beginning thought. Right. Mm-hmm. So the initial thought was like, I can't buy clothes until I lose weight. So like a turnaround thought would be, I can buy clothes until I lose weight. Or I can buy clothes that fit now and buy clothes when I lose weight. Oh, I like that second one. Yeah. It has to be a thought that you believe and that puts you in um, a more positive space and takes you out of, to me, takes you out of that like pain and suffering of I can't, I can't, I'll never, or I'll always like whatever your suffer thought is. Yeah, it, to me, it feels like when you do these turnaround thoughts, I sometimes will call it trying on outfits. So you try on the new thought, like I can buy new clothes before I lose weight or whatever the turnaround is and just try it on. Like, how does that thought feel? Some people are like, oh, that feels awful. I don't like it. And so then what you do is you keep looking for a thought an outfit that fits and feels a little better. You're just looking for some relief from the suffering. You know, that thought that, you know, I can't buy clothes until I lose weight that just kind of leaves you, as Mimi said, like in that cycle of bad feeling and not feeling good about yourself. What thought can you try on that just moves the needle a little bit so that you're not as miserable? And it kind of opens the door, tends to open the door to hope and kind of some opportunity for something else to come in. That's usually how it feels when you do a good turnaround. And you yeah. can watch people just visibly lighten up. They sit up straighter. They may sigh like a good sigh, like finally exhale. And um, people visibly brighten when they reach for something that just feels a little better. You can see it. It's very visible sometimes. <laughs> Because it's a whole nervous system response, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. just a mental exercise that you've walked through. You really are yeah. having like a total physical reaction to that thought. Um, if you listen to our past uh, few podcasts on thought work, you'll have heard us talk a lot about this idea of um, your thoughts driving your actions. And I think like her four questions don't lay that out as clearly you know, as we do when we teach thought and thought work and why you work on your thoughts. But that idea of how do you react when you believe that thought? And then who would you be without that thought is leading you into away from the actions when you had the negative thought and towards the actions when you had the positive thought. Mm -hmm. But I think she, do you think Lee, um, that she is, has concerned with the actions that you take as much as she is with how you feel in those moments and then how you feel in your life. I don't think she's concerned at all about actions. Yeah. I think it's really about being in the moment without suffering. Like, you know, how about right now? Are you suffering? Are there any thoughts making you suffer? You know, how about right now? And it's really just being in the moment. She, because of her mental switch, whatever got flipped for her, she really exists in the present moment more than most people do, you know? And so she's not thinking, oh, this is a great way to get shit done kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's not thinking that at all. Yeah. Which I'm just like, okay, what's, what's the benefit for me? 
But a lot of coaches use it that way because you can, what happens when people release the suffering of a thought that's really keeping them stuck is it's like you roll a boulder obstacle out of the way and suddenly the person not only feels freer emotionally, but suddenly possibilities open up. So you do the work long enough, um, you know, practice it over and over again. It just removes, it's an obstacle remover and then you're energized and then you tend to get things done that you weren't getting done before. You know, or that's the way I experience it in my own life and also... I see it with clients. They It just frees them. Sometimes, you know, if I'm working with somebody kind of weekly or every other week, we just work one thought. And then two weeks later, they've made some progress, you know, on stuff that's just been sitting there for years, you know, whatever in their life has been really stuck. Yeah. They just start taking action. And it's funny how it happens that way. So I don't think she is invested in any action you're going to take, but yeah, it's almost like that becomes a natural occurrence, right? Because you like, mm-hmm. if you listen to all the case studies she does, you mm-hmm. know, it is like, oh, so who would you be? And then talks to them a lot about what they would be doing. But mm-hmm. she doesn't like spell it out. Yeah, it's not like an action. That the whole point of the work and the four questions is so that you take different actions. She really is all about how you feel and how are you in this moment it's really how are you in this moment yeah which always sounds like that's like this nice state to get to (laughs) but you know I wouldn't say I'm there (laughs) yeah yeah well I mean and she talks about it a lot about this work as being a meditative process and Mm -hmm. she talks a lot about like inquiry are you like she uses those words that are very um, less action mm. focused, right? Even her, the language that she uses. Yeah, it's meditative, reflective inquiry. So you know, self inquiry. So it's a very inward process, and that's the piece. I think people who want to use this as an action tool, like, oh, maybe this will help me start my company or make a million dollars or lose weight, lose a hundred pounds. I think if you come at it from that point of view and you're just looking for the instant results, you might be disappointed with it. The results happen. I mean, I do, clients get results by using this, but I think if you're coming at it, like I just want, other than releasing suffering, I want this very practical outcome. You know, I don't know what that experience would be like if you looked at it only that way you know, and only saw the benefit in that. Uh, It would be hard to come into this with only that thought um, because you have to begin with where the, where the boulder is. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it's like, to me, I hadn't thought about this before we just started this conversation. So I'm trying to like form it for myself, but it's like, I wouldn't be coming in probably thinking what is the action that I need to take, especially like if it comes to weight loss, mm-hmm. it's like I'm not coming into doing the work to find out what action I need to be taking. I'm coming in to do the work to find out why I, why I'm stuck here, why I'm still here, why I'm, you know, have these thoughts that are so painful and that if I can uncover those, then I can 
then I can search for the actions that I need to take or stuff I can do. But like I'm doing the work to find out um, why I'm not in action, why I am sitting here like yeah. quiet. Yeah, because yeah, like in my mind, yeah. I can I can like, oh, it's the same thing. Like the goal is that I'm going to be able to figure out what to do. But you have to come into it thinking I've got to figure out why I'm not doing anything mm -hmm. or the right things or yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting process, something that can only be experienced. It's hard to describe unless somebody goes through it, but like overall, like, I think we've, we, we do a five feather rating, <laughs> five feathers would be like, we love the book. One feather would be like, not so much. And we kind of look at it like, is it enjoyable, informative, well-written, accessible? Who is this book good for? Who is it not for? You know, maybe taking that into account. Like if it's meant to be a self-help book, does it achieve that purpose, you know, for somebody coming in? Um, oh, I can, I want to speak to that a little bit. I want yeah. to say that this idea of self-coaching and self-help books, some self-help books are very practical based and you can pick up that self-help book and dive right in and do the action steps that it tells you mm -hmm. to do. I think this is tougher. Mm -hmm. so it's like, who is this book good for? I think it has to be somebody that probably has already done a lot of work or experience just like, or they might have the um, experience you had when it was like one of the first books on your, you know, sort of journey. Like for me, I already have had so much of this coaching from you. So it's like, I wasn't blown away by the language. I still was like, like it's a, it's a lot to think of taking these painful, you know, situations and these hard thoughts. So I think, I think it's, if it was your first book, it would be tough. Yeah. Like just the language and that kind of coachy mm -hmm. speak, even though she's less coach speak, it's still a lot of it is mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would still say read it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or, and especially listen to it just to listen to her coaching. People, I would recommend that for that. Yeah, I think for this book, I would give a different feather rating because I mean, it's hard because the first time I read it, it was not audible and I was much newer to this kind of thing of self-help. So I was such a different person with a different, you know, my brain was prepped differently <laughs> than it is now. You know, yeah. I think way back when I would have given it a lower rating um, but my most recent experience listening to it on audible, you know, I, I would probably give it, I think I'm going to give it four and not five because I feel like, well, I know this to be true. She struck, she still struggles to explain what happened to her and to to connect all the dots, um, and how she got to these four questions. I think, I mean, we can kind of follow her along and just believe that this is what happened, but I still struggle with that piece of it. And I know she struggles. It's something she still struggles to put into words, which I've heard about people who had these big right brain experiences that it's hard. The right brain doesn't deal in words as much as the left brain does or at all in the left brain does. So when th big right brain events happen, it's hard to put into words. And I think that's still my, a little bit of um, dissatisfaction. Like I wish I could just know more and hear more yeah. of the, the dots connected. I don't think that's her fault necessarily. I, I would say on audible, it's a four feather. 
Yeah. Great. I'd probably get it like a four and a four and a half, but only because I think um, Audible is not my favorite way to ingest a book. Mm -hmm. But I did feel like I had to do that. So I actually bought it twice. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But um, if I was an Audible person and I'd only gotten it on Audible, I would have been like, yeah, that was amazing. And mm -hmm. I wonder, Lee, if the part of when you read this, if that was one of the other things that nudged you so much into the becoming a coach. It's like it, it, what it did, it, it made an impact on my life. Yeah. So it's it, in that respect, it was really powerful for me. I, I don't know if I've ever wanted to throw a book across the room ever before. Like that the thought has ever entered my mind to throw a book across. And I emphasize, I did not throw the book, but <laughs> um, it just, it's funny that that thought I was just like hit some frustration level. I had a similar reaction to one of Eckhart Tolle's books. I don't know if someday we won't um, review one of his, but it's because I read these and was exposed to them when I had heard none of the stuff before and I didn't, it was hard to make that leap, you know, but I do think that this book loving what is has transformed my life. It's been transformative. Yeah. I would highly recommend it for yeah. sure. For yeah. sure. So we didn't talk about a song prior to coming in here. Normally we've kind of already thought about oh. a song and have one up. Okay. Well, I had a quick thing hit my brain. Do you have one? Do you have one? Well, tell me what yours is. Well, I was just reading the top. She says it's a revolutionary process. And so then the um, Beatles song revolution came into my head. Oh, no, but it's funny that you said that because I was thinking something kind of like boppy like that. I The first thing that popped into my mind was joy to the world. But Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I actually like that better. I like that better. You do. That's so funny because I was going to say I like revolution better. Okay, I'm, maybe we'll put both on her. Eyes on her idea. Or like imagine, like even that Beatles song. Oh, imagine. Ooh, what? That's a good one. That just gave okay. me chills. Yeah, let's use I that. I think that's it. that's that's it. That's it. Okay. All right. Good. Thanks for joining us today. Um, shoot us an email. Let us know if you read this book, what you thought about it. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll get out what next month's book is going to be. Yep. All right. Bye, everybody. there. Thank you so much for listening. In fact, if this resonated with you and you know someone else who needs to hear this, please share our episodes. We would just love that. We also would love it if you would follow, subscribe, and rate our channel because this lets us know you're actually there and it helps us show up in searches, which would be awesome. Please be a part of our community and mission to help as many women as possible free themselves from diet culture so that they can go beyond dieting.